today. It's getting exciting. We are going back into the archives and we are kind of talking about a group that pivoted somewhat inexplicably from being one of like the headlining like indie rock of America groups to becoming surprising chart toppers and radio stars. I cannot tell you how many fucking covers I watched today of Float On and how horrible every single one of them was. It was, genu- it was genuinely astounding. <laughs> that was not a requirement. <laughs> yeah. I was, was just all him. I was just curious and oh, holy shit, it was bad. We'll talk about that. But the thing I said, so this time we are diving into a wild and weird and fascinating discography with some of the most intense lyrics you might have heard in some time. That's right. This week we are going for the one. The only, an indie rock band who lost all their credibility when they took all that money from corporations and inserted brand names into their lyrics like Orange Julius and Coca, Coca, Coca-Cola. <laughs> That's right. We're talking about uh, Modest Mouse. Uh, yeah. Ugly Casanova, if you're nasty. So, uh, Modest Mouse, they is a band formed by essentially three people, for the most part, uh, over there in Issaquah, Washington. It is, of course, uh, the, the drummer uh, Jeremiah Green. It is the bassist Eric Judy. And, of course, it is frontman and singer-songwriter and all-around feral person, Isaac Brock. They started off with their very... (laughs) Feral? That's what he said. (laughs) And they started off, of course, with their very unique brand of prospective songwriting. He has a very uh, interesting upbringing and life, which kind of infills a lot of his uh, lyrics, which kind of talk about sprawl and isolation and other just feel-good topics that we all care about. And then over the course of the band's journey, going from indie labels to major labels to building up actual audiences, they became radio stars. Stars. They had their song covered on fucking American Idol, because why the fuck not? Uh, and the thing is that, like, they have a career that is so unique and so weird and so interesting that we cannot wait to dive into it today. So, of course, in order to do that, we gotta go ahead and have people rank these albums. Who are the people doing it? Let me tell you. First off, there's me. I'm Evan Saudi. I speak a lot. Uh, and uh, I am also the host of this podcast. And if you know anything about this podcast, then you know the person sitting next to me. That's right. The... Modest Mouse to My Ugly Casanova. That's right. This is the oh. one, the only. It is Taryn O'Reilly. <laughs> oh, nice. I, I was expecting to be the Jeremiah to your Isaac, but I'll tell I'm you not, that. I'm not going to call you ugly, nor uh, put you in the place of a person who had a psychotic break with reality. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> hey, hey, you know what? He made it through that struggle, and he's back in the band, and he's doing great. He really is, but like... Hearing the story, I mean, the band has is filled with stories. This is one of the things that I've learned over the course of the time. It's just like, oh wow, while recording this album, they got punched in the jaw in Chicago My and had to have one. to jaw. Uh, insane. So it's just like it's just this litany <laughs> of things that goes on. Yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy. Um, I'm thrilled that we are doing this band. Uh, they one of their albums was very very important to me right when I started getting into music. Oh, um, we will get to that. Um, but yeah, I've. I uh, I know that they're our guest's favorite band, so I'm, oh. I'm ready to. But we don't just have a guest. I we have we have we have a superstar essentially on here. We have someone who, for the record, has actually after being on our Fall Out Boy episode and being on our legendary Tom Petty episode, by this being their third appearance, they are now officially in the echelon of Chart Talkers All Stars. Hey! That's right. <laughs> 
Sheesh, what an honor. <laughs> it is a rare honor that I think like seven people have. Will there be like a like a medal or like a chip or something? Uh, we'll, give, can... we'll give you a chip. Or yeah. a sweater, like a jacket perhaps? <laughs> a Letterman's jacket that has Ooh. CH. Ooh, wait, Chartos. well, so we've done the t-shirts. So uh-huh. we should do for seasons um, four and five, we should do like a zip up. Oh, okay. yeah. With the photographer's logo right here mm-hmm. and like all the artists on the back again. I mean, I think that's a great idea. If more sponsors decided to join in and help out with that, <laughs> Uh, you can contact our sales department at thechartographer at gmail.com. Uh, but most importantly, Nico, I mean, we've had you on, of course, Fall Out Boy, I know you love, and obviously Tom Petty, I was so glad to have you oh on God. for that. How do you follow that, though? But Whoa. from what I understand, this is your favorite band. Yes. I think through the years, through other bands, thick and thin, this is the band that stole my heart. I was I was telling my wife that um, I feel like I met Isaac in high school. We've sort of just been friends ever since. Yeah. And we, uh, that's how I get through the albums. And anyway, we'll talk about all that. But yes, no, Modest Miles is my favorite band. I have only seen them live twice. Mm-hmm. Um, once at the Terrible Northerly Island, which is horrible. But yeah, so, and they're also one of the bands that um, I think don't care if they have so I think that's the other reason I really like them and then lastly the lyrics because if there's anything about music that is like gets me really excited it's really good lyrics that tell really good stories and then all of the actual stories just tied together it's awesome so yeah yeah definitely my favorite band very very excited also terribly nervous i know (laughs) more than any other band we've ever done i have zero clue what our number Um, one is going to be like i know my opinions i know where i line up on this but i truly knowing these other two wonderful people in the room having done episodes with them before (laughs) i have no fucking clue so i'm excited to dig into this and the biggest thing about this is that their songs by themselves are kind of inherently non-linear. Like when Taryn was looking over some lyric sheets earlier this week, people like had in categories it's like verse one, refrain run, pre-chorus one, chorus two, and it's just like this kind of like it's not. And I was like, bro, stop. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes they'd have different labels for things that were the same melodic mm-hmm. part, yeah. but just like you know, phrased differently, like, this time it only has three couplets. And I'm like, this, what, what's happening? Come on. But, yeah, I mean, the, the structure of their song, structure is a strong word for a lot of their songs because they, I feel like, evolve very organically for mm-hmm. the most part. You don't get a lot of, like, traditional pop strong structure until later in their career. Right. Yeah, yeah. And similarly, when we're ranking their discography, their discography is also kind of non-linear. But at the very least, we know for a fact there are six albums that we want to dig into. Six full-length albums, which includes the uh, Spars debut, This Is a Long Drive for Someone with Nothing to Think About, from 1996. There is their more muscular uh, punk album, The Lonesome Crowded Rest, from 1997. There is their major label turn with The Moon in Antarctica, from 2000. There is their surprising pop wonder that is good news for people who love bad news, from 2004. There is their chart-topping guitar rock record, We Were Dead Before the Ship Even Sank, from 2007. And there is their, oh, we forgot to record the over the course of the past eight years. Here it is, Strangers to Ourselves from 2015. It is kind of a wild journey, but there are two other albums that we kind of need to talk about as to whether or not we're going to rank them, and they are 2000's Building Nothing Out of Something and 2001's Sad Sappy Sucker. The biggest thing about it is that I've seen, I've like, you know, I've been around, I've been in college, y'all. That's a, that's just a fact. <laughs> and so I remember on so many Winamp media players seeing the cover art for records like Building Something Out of Nothing and uh, Everywhere in His Nasty Parlor Tricks. Like, I've seen those, like, 
over and over and over so many times again to the point where like in my mind like oh these were actual albums like it just didn't occur to me and i think for a lot of modest mouse fans genuinely it kind of doesn't matter like building nothing out of something it is various assorted singles and b-sides and stuff kind of culled together in one place but the one thing about it there's not a lot of repeats on this one it has some legendary songs on it too so some would count that as an album and similarly sad suppy sucker i don't know the full story of it but it was intended to be their proper formal debut it got shelled for whatever reason it is very scrappy and then finally kind of unearthed after they had some success and it was just like by the way here it is for people who kind of want to fill out the story <laughs> so it's kind of an interesting thing where we can talk about it we can rank it but ultimately i kind of defer to nigo Poshka. what what how would you qualify these would you rank them in our ranking what would you do well and we were even uh i was having a hard time deciding what they were because mm-hmm. to me building nothing out of something feels like you said it, a bunch of B-sides or a bunch of things that just didn't quite fit anywhere, mm-hmm. but it holds several of my favorite songs. Uh, and it doesn't really repeat other songs from across their discography, it, no, which is it a doesn't. key element towards The only it. other yeah. place that those songs really um, show themselves is on the live album, um, Baron Von Bullshit. And on the, uh, some of them are from the Interstate mm-hmm. 8 EP. Yes. That's, yeah. that's like one of the few times they reused some songs. Yeah. But. And for the record, they have a lot of EPs as well, because there's No One's First and You're Next, there's Everyone Who's Nasty Parlor Tricks, there's The Fruit That Ate Itself, and of course Interstate 8. And because Interstate 8 is kind of built into some, building something out of nothing, like, I don't know, I'm kind of, I kind of feel okay if we want to talk about it and include it in the ranking, but I think that kind of also, I defer to Nico, would you include that, and also would you include Sad Happy Supper? I'm prepared to include both. You are? That's that's where I'm at, too. Because um, I, I also have seen multiple people in, like, Reddit and YouTube comments saying Sad Sappy... Or not Sad Sappy Suck. Building Nothing Out of Something is their strongest collection of songs, which I do not agree with. <laughs> but I do think that for especially the fans of the early era, this is a very important part of their story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, in that case, I think that solves it. We have eight albums to rank. That includes This Is Our Long Drive for something with uh, for someone with nothing to think about. Alone Some Kind of Rest, The Moon and Antarctica, Building Something Out of Nothing, Sad, Happy Sucker, Good News for People Who Love Bad News, We Were Dead Before the Ship Even Sank, and Strangers to Ourselves. So that means that eight was albums. <laughs> enough words for the all of the Metallica albums. <laughs> <laughs> Load. Reload. Oh, my God. Uh, that's eight albums, that is eight slots, and we are arriving here at number eight. Nico, dear friend, and now established Star Talkers All-Star, what would you nominate? We'll talk about it, we'll debate as always. What would you nominate as our number eight slot? It's really hard. Um, <laughs> it's sort of, so I, uh, so <laughs> I wanted to include Sat Sappy Sucker because I wanted to sort of put it somewhere near the end. However, this is a long drive. Also, mm, Oh. So, and then also Strangers to Ourselves. So somewhere in there <laughs> is Her the bottom, bottom. three. I'll be yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, let me, let's just go ahead. I will, I'll just throw it, what you talked about. One of them is my pick, and that's Sad Sappy Sucker. And I think part of the reason is, is the fact that when you listen to The Modest Mouse, uh, this is a long drive, uh, the thing is they, although it's still spor- uh, sporastic, it is still wild, and of course the biggest thing about their songs is that the guitars feel jangled, and I remember there were people talking about like how they got into the band when they first wrote the songs, they're like, why would you recommend a band who can't even play their instruments? Because it is shambly, it is like songs cut off midway through, like it's crazy, and Isaac's voice throughout the entire thing is just, 
wild, going from a whisper to a growl to a yelp God. to all these different things. Fishing! <laughs> and so it's very fascinating to see their journey. But the thing is, with produ production, with actually labored songwriting, these choices do make sense in the way. And I don't feel like that's the same way with Sad Sappy Sucker, because it's nice. It is pleasant, but it is also tinny, and it is thin, and it is produced by Calvin Johnson of K Records, and it kind of has that kind of very super indie aesthetic. They're an indie band all the way through, and even if you start with this as a long drive, they still sound even scrappier and even looser on Sad Seppy Sucker, and in a way that, like, I don't love, uh, genuinely. I, there's some songs in here, Worms vs. Birds is a lovely opener, even though the lyrics are kind of, they're there. Uh, but there's just enough other things where it's just like, I kind of get like sc that scratchy sound when I hear mm -hmm. it in my ears. So like, there's not a lot of classic songs on this album, in my opinion. It is a very anxious album. Yes. I think Modest Mouse is a very anxious band. The yes. lyrics are anxious, but there's an arc. It's almost like one of the albums, I went and looked at the year and then I did the math to figure out how old Isaac Brock was. And uh -huh. I was like, this uh -huh. makes sense. Mm -hmm. You're into your 30s now. The lyrics shifted from like a, an ethereal, like, what if to like shit that actually happened to me. Mm -hmm. And so Sad Sappy Sucker to me feels like the epitome of anxiety. And it's odd that it Ooh. fell sort of when it did. However, it is one of my... Uh, favorite Modest Mouse albums to listen to on vinyl because of all the things you said about it being tinny, about the cracking, about the weird whistles, and the so it just sounds fun coming out of speakers instead of like directly into your ear. Mm -hmm. I could see that. I could you know see what that. I mean? Does yeah. the vinyl also have the dial a song answering machine messages <laughs> songs at the end? <laughs> That's a genuine question. Um, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I so. I obviously this one's towards the bottom yeah. um, for all of the reasons you've discussed already. I do think that this record to me, especially when you compare it to literally the album they recorded in the same year, this is a long drive. <laughs> right. These sound like songlets that need to be finished. Yes. Because yeah, 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 yeah. only one song is over three minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> which which in their discography where songs regularly hit six minutes and that's a good thing it it feels like they they were just like oh well this is done this yeah. is enough and so i sort of understand why they shelved it because i feel like they got into the groove of recording maybe and they said no we can do better i do still think that there are some really fun song ideas on here. I think it starts strong. Worms versus Birds is great. I think Duke's Up is a highlight for sure. And that... <laughs> oh, also Race Cargrain. I think... So, you know, there are things on here for uh, Modest Mouse fans to dig into, for sure. To the extent that I personally would put Strangers to Ourselves lower. <gasps> oh! Because Strangers to Ourselves... First of all, I will say the ground walks with time in a box makes this whole album worth it. Oh yeah, it's a fantastic. It's song. fantastic. Yeah, the build, the outro, all of it is absolutely incredible. My problem with this album is that there are eight credited people as members of Modest Mouse on this record. Why? Why did you turn into Arcade Fire? Why did you do that? Well, I don't, I don't understand. Arcade Fire was already not good at being themselves at this point. So I don't understand why, like, that was the sound they wanted to move into. I, I mean, the thing is, if you compare this to, like, the way that their sound was shifting, if 
like from Moon Antarctica, good news, we were dead. It was slowly getting more like pop and studio melodic. production mm-hmm. yeah, melodic. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like the the jump to Strangers to Ourselves is like there are three albums missing in that progression. And it doesn't make sense because the jump from We Were Dead to Strangers, that's a big chunk of time. And it's not like they toured a bunch in between to like shift their sound that much. So like, what the hell? It does, well, it's because like they, a huge it's jump. Because there are six people <laughs> who weren't in the band before this album because they also lost Eric Judy in the transition right, here. Right. So... So there's a whole new, like, an entire new staff of cooks in this kitchen. Right. Literally last night, I found an article and I immediately had to send it to Taryn. I'm just like, you have to look at this fucking thing. And it was a tweet and in a long interview from Big Boy of Outcast, <laughs> hanging in the studio with Modest Mouse, talking about how much he loves producing and jamming with Modest Mouse. Like, they were legit hanging out. They were doing stuff. I'm not rapping on it yet, but the stuff we're coming up is fucking legendary. Like, it was like, Big Boy was so fucking excited to work huh. with Modest Mouse, and then nothing came from this fucking out. session. So, yeah. to me, so that story kind of speaks of kind of the indecisiveness of it, and I think probably one of my least favorite qualities about latter-day Modest Mouse is the times when they're deliberately trying to capture the sound of early Modest Mouse. And I can tell you, like, in terms of, like, there's a lot of things that, like, when I listen to, uh, what was that song? Red Hand Case off Sad Sappy Sucker. I can't understand what his fucking lyrics are because it's so washed out in the mix of all that static and scratching. Mm -hmm. But, man, I'll take it over Pistol, a kind of in Miami, Florida, 1996. Maybe one of the worst songs I've heard in some time. So what I'll say about Pistol (laughs) is that it is absolute trash. (laughs) And I really like it. Uh I, I appreciate uh-huh. your honesty. I it really sounds, do. It sounds like something like uh, this era of Beck would put out. Yes! Which is not a compliment. Oh my god, I bet I just blew that out. <laughs> oh my god. We're recording Sad Sappy Sucker right it's, now. It's okay. It's, I, it's, 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 the thing about Pistol is like, <laughs> again, it's trash. I love it. It makes no sense on this album. It makes absolutely Correct. no sense on this album. And there's a couple songs like that. On here where you're just like, uh, I mean, okay, I guess. I guess those sure. you've got as a game and you're an asshole. That's sure. the direction you could go in. Yeah. Like, oh, you got a real ass tuba for sugar boats. Okay. <laughs> a real tuba. A re- yeah. That's a real tuba. And I appreciate that they yeah. got an actual tuba. Yeah. But like, I also I will say about sugar boats, there's this one about halfway through, there's this one like really crunchy synth that phases really quickly back and forth between the left and right channels. It's very satisfying. It kind of triggers an ASMR response in me. So that's nice, I guess. Yeah. But it doesn't save this record. Yeah. So, but I do, I disagree. And so I think that's what puts Sappy Sucker lower than Strangers because I can name more songs off Strangers that have redeeming qualities Mm. versus I have to look at the list of the fucking song Wait, I just said the... I'm allowed to say that, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, baby, we're not... We can swear. <laughs> the FCC is coming for me. Um, I have to... I'm pointing to the song, the track list. I don't know the, the titles of those songs. I just know them as a giant uh, amount of sound that comes out of the vinyl speakers. Whereas right. Strangers has evolved to a place where they're doing the fun thing that... One of the things I love the most about Modest Mouse is they're playing with sounds. Mm-hmm. It's not just like making music. It's also like playing with sounds like it's shapes and colors. Mm. And so that redeems it, but also keeps it at the bottom. Yeah. And I will say that the closing track, of course, we know, is actually, I think, a very stately 
warm, melodic. It feels, it kind of, like, I'm tired by the end of the album, so, like, it doesn't have the same effect, but when I listen to it just kind of by itself, it's a solid thing. I personally, I'm very okay with how things are ranking, and I feel like a lot of Modest Man's, uh, Modest Mouse fans aren't <laughs> Modest really... Mans. Modest Man's. Modest Man's. They don't love uh, Strangers to Ourselves, uh, from what I gather, from the uh, overall uh, universe. The last thing I'll say about this is that I understand why Lampshades on Fire is relatively popular, However, to me, it's a really obvious attempt at a radio single. Yeah. In a way that happens a couple other times, but for the most part, they stay away from. And really, it only happens in late era. Yeah. Uh, Modest Mouse. And I think that's a big part of why diehard OG fans don't connect with it. Yeah. I will say, though, Wicked Campaign and Be Brave are also, uh, like, harken back to earlier mm-hmm. lyric, you know, times mm-hmm. for Modest Mouse. Yeah, I fuck with Wicked Campaign. That's, but that's, that, honestly, we kind of talked about everything I Yeah, no, about. I think we, yeah. This album is a shit in my cut, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, that's okay. In that case, I'm personally fine with putting uh, Sad Seppy Sucker at number eight and Strangers to Ourselves at number seven. We totally. That. Yep. Excellent. Lovely, lovely, lovely. We are wonderful people. Okay, Taryn. Yes. We are at the number six mm. threshold, and although Though Nico did mention this is a long drive as a potential nominee on here, what in your heart of hearts would be in the number six slot? So, um, for me, it would be building nothing out of something. I I do think that, again, there's some really great stuff on here. It's definitely worth a a listen and a repeat listen Mm -hmm. for Modest Mouse fans. But they actually do a very good job of thematically connecting and track sequencing their albums to create a listening experience. Yes. Even if there are individual songs that don't stand out or connect with me. So that is part of what, as far as when we're talking about ranking albums, puts this lower is just because as a, as a full experience, it doesn't connect, even though I really like a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, like I think there, I don't. I don't have complaints. There's no. There's no songs on here where I'm like, ugh, skip this. Right. Um, and I think that like broke is a classic. Neverending Math Equation is really solid. Mm-hmm. All Night Diner is really really good, and Great Ice Water is definitely one mm-hmm. that got better every time I listened to it. Mm-hmm. And just every time I heard it, I was like, oh, this keeps going up. My ranking. It's yeah. just really, really solidly composed, and I like the arc of the song. It's very chill. Mm-hmm. I'd say this album can really get it on. It could really get it on. Really get it on. Uh, and the thing is that I do like, even though it is kind of a, uh, again, a kind of an assembly of things, it's nice to hear them kind of stretch a little bit outside their regular zone, like Sleepwalking was actually a, a very pleasant surprise because, like, I had never heard it before, and it's just this lovely kind of 50s prom throwback track, and it works there's a little bit of earnestness in there and then even but even then it's still classic modest mouse because when you have a life of arctic sounds when the mm-hmm. whole thing is hundred miles is a long time you know where like when he just keeps upping the mileage of how long this fucking car ride is they, taking and then going through yelps and shouts and curls and whispers it's just so it's just so satisfying it truly shows that they can expand their sound and try out things but still be true to who they are so i get why you do it i would say there's a lot of songs i like on here uh, and it's one of those things where I gotta be honest, I'm still kind of looking at this versus this is a long drive. I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm kind of like a little bit split on where I'm sitting right now. But Nico, could you walk us through a little bit about this is a long drive and also why you would rank it here? 
And when I feel like this happens, I always think I'm going to be better aligned with Taryn and I'm much more aligned with you. Mm -hmm. So it's hard because a similar thing with the strangers to sad sappy in that building nothing and this is a long drive. So building nothing out of something has more tracks that I am willing to listen all the way through. I'm excited to get to mm -hmm. them. Broke is probably one of my top three Modest Mouse songs, mm. period. Okay. And, wow. um, like, chills every time. Like, just, I know in the lyrics, they flow so nice. And it's almost like you feel him kind of stand out and the band is just, like, back. It just, it's a beautiful song. And the lyrics are so beautiful. But the rest of it, and, well, no, some of the other ones you mentioned are really good, too. <laughs> like, Never Ending Math Equation is delightful. It's really great live. They open with it quite a bit, um, supposedly. Of course, I looked into, you know, the minimal track list that are available. But This Is a Long Drive has fewer of those types of songs. Dramamine is probably also one of my top five favorite Modest Mouse totally. songs. Mm -hmm. Novocaine Stain is also... Exit Does Not Exist is... Amazing. I really, I, mm -hmm. I, you guys know this. I like driving music. I like yes. music that, um, mm -hmm. literally for, uh, driving in your vehicle, um, but also things with like driving beats. But anyway, Exit Does Not Exist is a really great driving song. So I don't know. I could give or take either in this spot, but I, I agree. These are the next couplet set to go in. So this is a long drive really surprised me this week. Mm -hmm. I, I, enjoyed it a lot more than I think I was expecting to. I, I definitely think it's an acquired taste, but once you get past the screechy guitars and the screaming, there's a lot to love here. Yeah. The actual, the, I mean, I think this might be Jeremiah's best album. Ooh. I, he's, he's going hard. The drums are really high in the mix mm -hmm. and oh, there's yeah, a lot of songs. They're yeah. really warm. Too. And there's a lot of songs that are really complex in his um in his drumming and i guess that this that's true for lonesome crowded west too for yeah. sure he's doing a lot on there and i think he sort of takes a more of a backseat as their career goes on mm -hmm. drama true. mean obviously incredible custom concern mm -hmm. is actually one of my <laughs> favorites partially because it really sounds like an iron and wine song but it just oh. It really that does. really that simple yeah. finger picked yes. open chord i think might is solid it's short and stupid lounge is a little too long yeah well um, then there's that and of course it's loud critique of that yeah. song because <laughs> <laughs> there are songs that are literally like a minute and 12 seconds long but yeah no i agree <laughs> and and all, but then but then on the flip side of all of the things i just said oh oh my god i forgot about talking shit about a pretty sunset too yeah. Talk about a build. I mean, that that outro is is like an all-timer for me. Oh, yeah. Um, and if you think of any TV or movie from 1996, <laughs> that just fits in. Totally. Like, you're like, that's 1996. Totally, totally, right. totally. Yeah. But then uh, on the flip side of all of the positives I've just said about this album, there's Head South, which is kind of rough. <laughs> Ohio is one of the worst things they've ever put out. Um, and excuse me, mechanical birds. Excuse me. How about fucking Pardon. no? Pardon. Pardon. Like, I, I just, and that, that is why I do understand having this album this low because it is, there are songs that there is no other word to describe them besides grating. 
There are grating songs on this album, and that's not what you want as a listener for the most part. You have to be in a very specific mood for that, and it's not the mood that the majority of this album puts you in. Mm-hmm. So that it's it's tough in that way. But I think that the overall, the heights that are reached on This Is A Long Drive put it higher for me. Higher than Building, building Nothing or higher still? Um, a little higher still, <gasps> personally. Oh. Um, I would definitely say Building... I mean, I nominated Building Nothing, so yeah. that's that's what I would put next. But yeah, there's, there's one other album I would put below This Is A Long Drive. Oh. Okay. Yeah, you don't say that and then not say it though. Oh, are we? We're ready for that. Oh, I mean, we're no. talking. We're t- <laughs> I don't. Because I wouldn't put it for number six. Yeah. <laughs> we're all looking. I knew it was gonna get really. Uh, I mean, I can it. say it. It's only getting uglier though. Like, let's oh, be honest. Uh, completely. <laughs> Especially because there's a little bit of age gradient here, which I completely. think is really at the time where these albums came out so like taryn when you said there was a very formative album and blah 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 it's not the same one that it was for you at all (laughs) i'm excited to hear now more than ever well i mean we all sort of think that building nothing falls in the lower yeah like it's still lovely like we're getting to a point where the albums that we have left are all Lovely they have a strong reasons. discography, yeah. so this is, I mean... Yeah. I mean, let's put Building Nothing, let's put Building Nothing next. Okay, if you want to do that, I personally, I would probably be more of a This Is A Long Drive person next, but for the sake of Taryn. consensus, I'm personally fine with putting... I mean, I, I, I don't, I certainly don't think my other choice is going to be lower for you guys. Alright, so. right, then do This Is A Long Drive below Building out of... Oh no, that's not what Taryn wants. Oh. Is that what you want? That's what she wants. We can, let's, put build, let's put building nothing at six. Let's put the baby to bed. Let's go ahead and do that for the sake of our yeah, I feel like we already talked about it. We already decided. Yeah. So let's. I think. I think. Before we're we okay change with our that. mind, number, we're all anxious about it. <laughs> number eight, San Sebastian Sucker. Number seven, Stranger Store Sales. Number six, Building Something Out of Nothing. We've talked about this on a long drive, but Taryn has another one he would maybe put down there. So, um, what I would put next, I'm like nervous. Yes. Um, is good news for people who love bad news. Fuck you. Fuck you so hard. I I absolutely fuck. No, please talk about your decision. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, um, for the record, they were sort of very close to each other. They had their hands on each other's legs, and then as soon as that came out, they have separated. <laughs> they are no we are longer, broken up for the rest of the they day. They are no longer touching. So I think the world at large is uh, an inferior version of Float On, and it's too long of an intro. I usually, when the world at large comes on, just want to skip to the next track because it's the same chord structure, and it's more complex, and I just think it's stronger, and it's almost the same listening experience to me. Um, Ocean Breeze Salty is an all-timer, absolutely, for sure, and I think, oh, Good Times Are Killing Me. Of course, is is a fantastic closer for this record. However, he's so visibly nervous. <laughs> he doesn't know who's gonna be more upset than me. He doesn't um, know. I think, besides that, the the songs on this record <laughs> don't totally connect with me. I just. I think that they have stronger songwriting elsewhere, and I I have no problem with this album. I just, I think, especially in the back half, it kind of sags a little bit. Um, also, uh, The Devil's Workday and Satin in a Coffin are almost the same song, but with different lyrics. Which, again, is not inherently a problem, but the album is short enough 
that I don't know it that it earns sort of repeating multiple themes like it does. Mm-hmm. I want to know what you think next. Oh, I think he's fucking wrong. <laughs> I, think, I think he's so fucking wrong on this goddamn album. I think this is one of their strongest records, and the fact that it's even coming down in the bottom half offends me greatly. Here's part of the reason why. I think it's one of those things where genuinely, in my opinion, I think that I am so fascinated to the end of this day by how this album pulls off what it does. I think it's one of those things where I know I don't necessarily love every single track on here, but in terms of a listening experience, I am still stunned to no degree about how they were able to find a weird pop version of their sound that actually works. Because it's weird how, like, it is their pop record, it did break through, but it just never feels, like, disingenuous to a degree. Because even when he's doing, saying like, nothing on Dancehall, because for the most part, Dancehall, he's just saying nothing. He's just doing his kind of warble and wail. It still has a propulsion to it. Bury Me With It is one of my all-time favorite Modest Mouse songs, hands down. It is just the way those little synth, that little kind of old-school synth comes in. And he has the screaming of the please bury me with it. It's just so immediate and remarkable. The fact, and that's the fact that he brings on the different, uh, so many different new textures and sounds and integrates them, and it actually works to a degree. I fucking love the Devil's Work Day. It's just, it's, I love it when because he has always danced around this idea of either killing God or being the devil or finding some sort of in between therein. He's always fascinating, and he still finds a way to kind of make it into this palpable, relatable sound. And again, all the way through, it doesn't feel like they're selling out. And I don't know how it happens. It's bright, it's colorful, it's huge. Ocean Breeze Salty was the song that hooked me more than Plodon ever did. That was the one that looped me into Modest Mouse in the first place. So it's one of those things where at the end of the day, I love a lot of this record. I will admit it has some flaws. There are certain things that... uh it may not work as strong for me. Like, Black Cadillacs is fine, you know, like, by the end. But, man, I am gonna fucking kill a bitch before it gets into the bottom half of our rankings, let me tell you. That's just my opinion, though. Mm-hmm. Nico. <laughs> um, so I think Taryn is expecting this to be higher and more formative for me. I do not think it is number five, but I might say number four. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't put... Yeah, no, I can't... I could do four, but I couldn't do... Five. We'd have to put This Is A Long Drive in five, I think. Um, because there are a lot of songs on good news for people who love bad news. Like, uh, And there's also something secret, the secret horns. There's a lot of extra secret instruments and sounds, <laughs> different <laughs> voices. It mm-hmm. feels more like a conceptual album, like Moon and Antarctica, like We Were Dead. And so, yeah, no, I can't put it, I can't put it at five, but I'd be willing to argue more about putting it at four i also really really like bearing me with it i just there's something about it that feels like a dirty 19 you know 29 bar where he is just like growling and he's so i don't know the lyrics start to feel so much more genuine in this album more about his interpretation of the things he's talking about unless he read it somewhere Hmm. i don't know okay anyway Mm. so but there are other albums that are just sh- still stronger than Good News. So, I don't know. Taryn, how do you feel about that? I Putting... mean, I, th- I do think I maybe undersold it a little bit. I mean, I definitely have other highlights here. I do enjoy Bury Me With It. I do think Bukowski's really, good, really strong. I never skip Float On. Never. And I've never heard covers of it, but I never oh, skip it. I never, never, never do. It. Never do. The problem with, the, with covers of Float On is that such a huge part of its charm is Isaac Brock as a Muppet. So, like... <laughs> 
genuinely. Yeah. No, but really, but for real. That's like a huge, huge, huge part of why it works. His weird pronunciation, the way he's half screaming everything. Like it, it really takes the song to a different place. So when all of these stupid YouTube musicians are like singing it really beautifully. I bet my car They're doing like an acoustic version. It, it just yeah. doesn't work. It oh. just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah I, no, I don't, I wouldn't, I never skip float on either. I think it is famous for a very, very good reason. And I, like I said, I do like this album. I just connect more with their other work. Yeah. I and I would be totally fine if I'm outvoted and we put This Is A Long Drive next. But Which, that's how I feel. Nico, would you be fine with putting to a long drive next? Or do you... Yeah, we have to put long drive next. We have to put We're long drive next. We're running out of okay. options for <laughs> other albums. I completely, I completely understand. Well, in that case, we have eight uh, Sad Happy Suckers, seven Strangers to Ourselves, number six, Building Something Out of Nothing, number five, this is a long drive for someone with nothing to think about. Uh, We're building something out of nothing now? Uh, what? Isn't it building nothing out of something? Oh, yeah. It's fine. Whatever. It's okay. It's It's hard because it's a play on words and you think it's supposed to be the other way. No, I do it all the time too. So in that case, we're at the number four slot. And although uh, there has been nominations here for good news for people who love bad news, I still wouldn't put it down this far, personally. I understand that might be the consensus of the room, but if it were up to Evan, and it should be, quite frankly, (laughs) if I were to be honest here. But for me, up next would be We Were Dead Before the Ship Even (gasps) Sailed. Yeah, I no, tell it. us. So the thing about the, uh, well, the, honestly, gen- <laughs> after the shock, where off, I knew this was going to happen, by the way. I knew it's Modest Mouse. People take it, we hold it in ourselves. They are such a, it's true, they are a personal band. But the thing that I thought was so striking, too, was that Good News and We Were Dead actually have two very interesting parallels to it, in which each album actually didn't have a member towards it. Because on Good News, it was legitimately... Uh, uh, Jeremiah wasn't in the band at this point. They did sessions with him. They did a different producer. It's the same producer who does We Were Dead Before the Ship Even Sank, who we found out also produced Way to Normal by Ben Folds. Uh, which was like, and that's his like super buoyant like top 40-ish pop album, which I thought was like, what an interesting thing to them for to work with. So one of the things is that they actually brought in another member in the form of the Smiths guitarist, legendary uh, Britpop guitarist, uh, Johnny Marr, who not only worked on the songwriting for the album, but also helped tour the album, too. Like, for a moment, he was like a permanent member of the band. And I, I love that story. Right? I love that story. so much shade. As you're telling this story, as a means to put it low, oh my gosh. Yeah, that's a that's a reason to bump it higher. That's a reason that album well, is much the, higher. For well, me. the thing that was so striking to me was the fact that like I could hear his guitar tones yes. in it. Like it's one of the things. Like there's just this little amp, this little like annulus, this little like fuzziness mm-hmm. to his tones that you could hear across this record all the way straight through, which I thought was fantastic. But the thing that I knew this was going to be contentious early on in the week, because at one point I was uh, talking to Taryn, just like, I just love how their sound expanded so much over Good News for, uh, and just like it expanded to the point where then all of a sudden this is more of a guitar record on here. And Taryn's like, are you fucking kidding me? I, this is, yeah, yeah, you were trying to say that Good News was was really colorful and then they sort of went back on that for We Were Dead, which I think is insane because I think when you listen to The Smiths, the first word that comes to mind is colorful. Yes. Their their songs are Bouncy, vibrant. Jangly. And and it's partly because he uses like a really clean, resonant tone on his guitar mm-hmm. that just sort of fills your oral space. Mm-hmm. And 
And that's all over this record. I also love that there were certain parts where Isaac Brock clearly wanted, like, he wanted it to almost sound like it was still him singing, but he wanted a better vocalist to do it. (laughs) So he got James Mercer from The Shins on, like, three of the songs. He's on Florida. Florida. He's on... Miss the boat and we've got everything. Yeah. And and it really it's almost to the point they mixed it so well and Isaac is still singing through most of it that you almost can't tell that it's a different vocalist. But then like this week on the like the last chorus of Miss the Boat, I was like, that is not Isaac Rock. He cannot (laughs) sing like that. And so I looked it up. But I think I think that's part of what makes this album so strong in my opinion. This is the album I was referring to when I said that it was really formative because I like started really getting into music and finding my own, like finding things on my own and doing research online in late 2006. And this came out in early 2007. So like this was really, truly one of the first albums I fell in love with. I've listened to it probably a hundred times. Wow. And so I fully recognize that I have some nostalgia goggles on but this is my favorite Modest Mouse album. I think that start to finish, it's really, really strong. I think the hooks are in place. I think the backing vocals are in place. I love the trade-off between, like, and I, I hadn't ever noticed this until I was doing research this week. You played me some Smiths. I listened to more on my own so I could hear that influence. And I love hearing the sort of dueling styles of songwriting and guitar playing with Isaac and Johnny, you can really, like, when you start to just close your eyes and listen, you can sort of tell who wrote which parts. And I I was reading this week that when they first started recording, um, like, Johnny and Isaac just were like, okay, let's jam, let's see if this is going to work. We want to work together. And Johnny had been working on Dashboard and just started playing it, and Isaac improved the vocals and that's what they ended up going with. So like, it was just like a completely organic, like they just thought they were gonna record a song or two together. And then Johnny ended up staying on for the entire recording process and co-wrote pretty much the entire album. And then was like, hey, do you want, let's tour. Like, I'll come with you on tour. Like it was a very, it very much was not intended to be Johnny Mars joining the band, but it was just such a great, union of minds it's great chemistry that they did it i think yeah i, I almost, could go on and on i was gonna say no i almost want to stop you because to me it is insanity that we are talking about this album before number three like no like this there are so many good things i have so many positive things to say about so many of those songs the johnny markham is just it <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> great Johnny Marr story so um, it sounds like it so we should we should probably we should probably save that but that's one of the biggest reasons it is so high for me because it 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 has so many amazing pieces that just seem to organically have come together that it it feels so spiritual in in so many ways 
and similar, it came at a really interesting uh, time. Uh, it, if we re-listened to the Fallout Boy uh, podcast, yeah. you'd hear that, yeah, 2007, 2008 was like a really, I guess, great time for me. So <laughs> so that said, I, I almost want to stop talking about it because I can't, there's no fucking way. It's number four or number three. So. Well, for me, and here's the thing about it too, you have, <laughs> let me just say though. I have put my feet But Nico, down. Nico, here's the thing. You said that you have an album that was very formative to you as well in terms of your Modest yeah. Mouse journey. Taryn says this has his album that was formative to him and his Modest Mouse journey. And Good News For Me was that formative album yeah. as well. So that's one of those things where if it's ultimately an outvoting thing, I understand. But at the same time, this is where, like, I mean, I'm also pretty staunch about this too. Where, like, if that's the way it rolls, that is. But Good News For People Who Love Bad News... It still, to me, is a bit of a miracle record, just in the sense that I still am just fascinated as to how a band as fucking weird and as fucking non-linear as Modest Mouse is was able to put out something so joyously pop. And while I will fully admit, and per other podcasts too, like, I'm kind of a pop guy to a degree. I mean, Perrin and I both are. We both love it there. This record, and especially for me, I think it kind of what really kind of pushed it up this week for me was hearing it in context of these other albums that I was only marginally or partially familiar with. It's one of those things because, like, hearing that that band made this album stuns me, truly. And that is the thing. And part of the reason why, only reason why I'm going to go ahead, I'm not trying to say We Were Dead is a shitty fucking album that deserves to be buried at the very end of the uh, ocean. For me, it's one of the things of just, like, on a song-for-song basis, I like good news more than We Were Dead. And that's kind of where I'm at right there. And I will say that even with that, we'll talk about it in a second, but I will also say that Dashboard, I think, is one of the finest songs that they've ever done. And I also think that the same producer that worked on both of these albums, when that fucking string section comes in on Dashboard, it just transports me. It sends me. Okay, so, I mean, while we're here, I'm just going to talk about a couple (laughs) songs on We Were Dead that regularly blow my mind yeah the first is parting of the sensory it's so weird i love that the this song is about that you are made of recycled materials and when you die something else is going to use them i think that's such a fascinating concept and then during the outro when they're just saying someday you will die and something's going to steal your carbon just in in canon and overlapping and at different tones and sometimes they're shouting it and sometimes there's a whole chorus of people doing it and then it comes down to a whisper at the end (laughs) and it's just like oh oh it gives me chills it gives me chills also i know that this is not as popular among modest mouse fans in general I think Fly Trapped in a Jar is absolutely incredible. When um, they were doing their 10-year thing for Pitchfork for, uh, was it Mutant? No, it was Lonesome Crowded West. Um, They were talking about that Jeremiah really loves playing dance beats. (laughs) And you can hear, and they they don't give him that many opportunities to do it. But when he does, it's so fucking good every time. And that's what the last two thirds of Fly Trapped in the Jar are. It starts with guitar tones that truly sound like a fly trying to escape. And then it just becomes this like crazy propulsive dance hall zoot suit riot kind of situation. And when they could just lean on that badass beat, they still shove incredibly cryptic Isaac Brock life death. Here's like... lyrics right into yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really matter what you're into. You, you, If you're a Modest Mouse fan, you love that song. Yeah. And similarly, it's one of those things too where like, uh, one thing I will say is that like, uh, in terms of Modest Mouse ballads, 
Blame it on the Tetons, I have a good news, is not one of my favorites. But for some reason, there's an earnestness to Little Motel, a sadness, oh, a beauty that runs so through it that is just so much. striking and just gorgeous. I can't listen to Miss the Boat without crying. Period. Really? I can't. Really? Like if, you, if, Why? if I ever have to do like a show again where they're like, we need you to cry. Yeah. Like, like fucking Miss the Boat. When we get to the end, I just, I am sobbing every, every time. It's most embarrassing in the car. But yeah, every time... <laughs> I don't know Which what it part? is. Which part? Is it the final chorus when James Mercer is singing the shit out of it? Or yes. is it the, the yes. come down? No, yeah. it's when he's no, singing yeah. the shit out of yeah. it. And what I really appreciate, though, is I feel like Isaac made room for other musicians. Sort of like how you said it just felt like he wanted a better vocalist. Like, mm-hmm. And I just think he, like, at this point in his career, and this was the one I looked up, I was like, oh, he's like, what, 30-something? He's in his, you know, yeah. okay, you figured it out. He made space for other musicians to, like, come in. And still let Modest Mouse, like, shine so bright. But the the fillers of some of these other voices and musicians just... It, it makes it such a standout album. It really is. So, go fuck yourself putting it any lower than three. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen. It's one of those things where I can read the room as well. I just... When Taryn was just listening off all his problems he had with good news, I'm like, I will not stand for it, I, sir. I will say though, <laughs> I will say it was a sleeper one. This um, Evan asked me if I had been listening a lot or what I was watching and what I was doing yeah. and how to prepare. And, um, <laughs> what are you doing? I was like, I'm not doing much of anything. This is the catalog I probably know the best. Mm-hmm. I listen to it all the Backwards time. It's on my phone. It's everywhere. And I would have swore that moon in Antarctica was going to edge out. We were dead before this week, and they've sort of just kind of moved amongst wow yeah and i think it is because it was in a more formative time but i also think all the other things i said about the full musicianship and the like partnership and these incredible sounds and the organicness of it i just made it so much and i think i listened to it on vinyl that you guys gave me anyway yeah well we do love you so uh, and that is the thing to know it is all love here even if it means we are putting good news for people who love bad news at number four Although the a narrator of the podcast will still continue. To I guess. think that's harsh too, though. Yeah. I really think that that could have been up in the top three too, but it's hard because there's well, because the top three, what we have left is the lonesome crowded west, the moon in Antarctica, and we were dead before the ship even sank. So it's one of those things where, while I still nominated, we were dead uh, before we got here. The thing is, is that Nico, if you had your personal way of the three albums that remain, yeah. what would be in your number three slot? Lonesome Crowd of West. Lonesome. I want to fucking talk about this goddamn album. It's so striking how similar it is to This Is a Long Drive, but at the same time, it is still its own beast. It's like, it really is, because even just by itself, you just look at some of the lines on there. I feel like the, the question I asked Taryn earlier this week was like, I feel like with the Metallica episode, something really came into focus when I just had the question to myself, what is this album about? Because in Metallica, there were times for like Master of Puppets, it's about God, it's about all the societal controls that are going on. When you're looking at St. Anger, it's a bad album, but at least it's about psychosis, it's about dealing with your own demons, I can like say that. And then when we got to some of the latter albums, like uh, Hardwired to Self-Destruct, I don't know. Atlas? I don't know. I don't fucking know. Like, it just was so unclear thematically. And it's one of those things where, for me, like, when I listen to good news for people who love bad news, it is such a a way of, like, pushing past grief when you're looking at death and finding color on the other side of it. I mean, you do float on to a degree. But for me, when I look at The Lonesome Crowded West, it is about identity. It is about who are you, what is the shitty town that you're from, and what is it changing into? Those are the themes that I kind of got out of that, too. And it's one of those things where it's just... I mean, honestly... There, Cowboy Dan could have been a jokey song about, you know, because Cowboy, Cowboy Dan, in case you didn't know, was a major player in the Cowboy scene. But the song is about so wanting funny. to fucking assassinate God for making us mortal. 
How? Holy shit, man. Like, you wouldn't think that a, a record could, like, even approach that, but he just does so casually through the cowboy Dan metaphor. And it's one of those things where that and also just driving a lot. There's a lot of songs about driving in cars and roads and motors on this album, too. It's just really about watching what your town is turning into over it. And so it's kind of striking. There are songs I flat out, there are songs I don't like on here, but there are also songs that kind of, like, it is a push forward aesthetically for them while they still understand their roots. Because honestly, when you have the opening of Shit Luck, uh, this plane is definitely crashing! You know, like, it's just like, it's just such a striking moment because, like, the song isn't really about much of anything, but it still is kind of feels authentic to what this is and also feels that it couldn't have fit on This Is a Long Drive in a way that it does here, you know? Having so many feelings all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> well, because in many ways, the Lonesome Crowded West Modest Mouse is a very different good news for people who love bad news Modest Mouse. And so I'm sitting here looking at good news, sitting at number four, and I'm like, well, should it be Lonesome Crowded West? And I won't, I won't, we're not going to untype things, we're not going to delete right. things. Um, for those of you listening at home, he literally types this shit. You can watch it all in real time. It's actually very helpful for those of you, <laughs> uh, like myself, who get very distracted. Anyway... The Lonesome Crowd of West, Modest Mouse, very different from Good News, Modest Mouse. But there are a lot of songs on there that Modest Mouse likes playing. The two times that I've seen them live, they've played half of these songs. Cowboy Dan is really popular. Doing the Cockroach, they open and close with all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Bankrupt on Selling is also one of those top mm-hmm. three songs for me. Oh, There's wow. just something about that song. And there is a, a great documentary that is, you know, I think it's on YouTube, but there's this conversation about Bankrupt on Selling and how someone else in the band who, I don't remember who, was playing the guitar and Isaac was not playing the guitar and he just started like singing along and he discloses in this documentary that that usually makes him so incredibly uncomfortable He'd rather, like, play the guitar than sing to save his life. But mm-hmm. he, you know, and so to me, it's like one of those kind of moments, those organic, beautiful moments that we see, like, on We Were Dead that happens, you know, a decade earlier. Mm-hmm. So I do. I have a lot of, there's a lot of Lonesome Crowded West that I really like. But I also think, again, running out of space on the top. Yeah, I, I think Lonesome Crowded West is for people who were fans before Float On, I feel like that's the one most of them say is the best because it is at their purest indie moment, you know? And I do think it is incredibly strong, especially as a leap forward. I I love a lot of This Is A Long Drive, but The Lonesome Crowded West feels like the perfect just refinement of what that was self-editing there's like so much more editing and making the internet cash (laughs) so much less screeching which is really just was a a boon as a as a listener i think like you talk about shit luck that has a lot of screeching guitar in it which isaac is very fond of yes but but it works so much better there first and i don't even know if i can tell you why i also think the opening salvo on this record Teeth Like God's Shoeshine is insane. It truly. It's absolutely insane. It's, it's it starts so atonally good. and then just kind of builds into something it's more melodic. It's so and good. Yeah. And Heart Cook's Brain is a banger. Your heart's a bit of buffalo. Convenient yeah. Parking is, I, I like, that's another one where, like, every time I listen to it, I was like, oh, damn. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it just kept, it just kept climbing. And, and this was definitely the album that 
I discounted the most on first listen and then was like, okay, no, I need to really reconsider what this can offer because I, another one is trailer trash. Mm-hmm. Totally was like a sleeper hit. Didn't even grab me the first couple of times. And then like today, this morning, I was like, oh shit, I really like this. Yeah. It, again, I mean, indie rock is known for the long build. That's like, to, in my brain, that's like the, the truest, pure form of indie rock. And that's, they do that a couple times brilliantly on this album. Yeah. I also think the closer, um, Seraphim Boots. Oh it's my God, it's yes. To be on Ice All Right. Just incredible. And it also, it's seven minutes long. And every time during the ending jam where I'm like, okay, it needs to change now. It does. Every, like, it, it, it takes each little permutation of its groove and takes it for just long enough. And then right when a listener might start to check out it, they change something. They switch to a different drum groove. The, the bass switches, it's playing the same notes, but in a different rhythm. And it, it's just so brilliantly arranged in a way that there are a couple songs on this album that are not. Like, for example, I think... Long Distance Drunk. I'm fine with Long Distance Drunk. It's, 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 I'm talking about Trucker's Atlas. Okay. If, the like, all eight minutes of it? Oh my god. It's 11 minutes. Yeah. It's 11 oh, minutes. Wow. It could be six. Because they don't change the groove. And they're just it's, talking about all these different places that they can go well, to. Well, even... That's only the first four and a half <laughs> minutes of the song. And then the rest of the 11 is just the same groove. It yeah. just keeps happening. Yeah. And, and, and like, okay, I'm glad they're having fun. And then it fades out at the end, which I'm like, you said you were going to fade it out anyway? You didn't even have an ending planned? You could have faded this out <laughs> six minutes ago. <laughs> and it would have been the same listening experience for me. Uh, Lonesome Crowd of West is a great album for like a mid-grade Modest Mouse fan. Whenever I meet somebody and they tell me they like Modest Mouse, this is the album I generally ask them about first. Because if you don't like anything about this album, that's a warning sign. Yeah. Mm. Don't trust that person. And if you're not sure, I love being the person who has given you this album for the first time or like directed you to it. Because I think it is the best captured essence of early Modest Mouse. That's the indie rock sound. There's a lot of great songs. Like I said, they play half of these songs live pretty consistently, it seems. And so um, I really like Lonesome Crowded West, but I do think that this is about where it falls and what's left. I would say, per the discussions that we've had so far, I think that if we were to put it at number three, I know some people consider it the greatest masterpiece and a classic as well. I do not fall under that category as well. Mm-hmm. I understand it is foundational towards some, you know indie rock and a lot of what it became. Uh, I just think that from what we have left, there's at least one other album that's better. It's a really good picture of them in 1997. And then... Other things happen. Yeah. And it, it's not a bad picture. Right. At it's all. Just, that's where it is. They they all improved as musicians. They improved on lounge even, which is honestly pretty great. Well, um, that was another one where I was like, that could have been two minutes shorter <laughs> than it was. Well, are we thinking of putting the Lonesome Credit West at number three? That's where I'm at. Okay. I you, think, yeah. I all think right. we are. Yeah. In that case, that leaves us one album to talk about, at the very least. I am so fucking excited to talk about the moon in Antarctica, because this is an album I knew some songs from, absolutely. I had never heard it in the context of the whole record. And it is striking to me how an album can be so happy and so deeply sad. And you, mean! At the same and time! Mean. 
Yeah, it is. You think this album's happy? I mean, <laughs> I'd say there are moments of pop uh, joyousness that occur on occasion, but overall... It's the thing Terrence says I like the most about songs, which is it sounds like a happy song that's actually so not happy. Right. Like it's either dark or sad or, but there's, oh, there's well, so I think much here. Th- the opening track, so Third Planet, here. I think kind of sums up everything because it is a mess of hooks together all in one it's place. So but it is one of those things, like, I mean, honestly, they could have built up any one of these lines into its own song, but by the time when it gets to the very part, you know, this is how the world began and then also how the world will end. Like, it's just, it <laughs> is... seeing that, like, uh, Ben Gibbard. He's <laughs> <laughs> like a Kermit the Frog. I mean, <laughs> have you seen What's him the in difference? the same room? Exactly. Uh, but, like, it's just, it's so striking. Well, for me, in terms of, like, joy, like, uh, I think a perfect song and, and encapsulating all of that is Wild Packs of Family Dogs. Because, like, it's song. this goofy fucking song that has deeply dark connotations when you dig into the lyrics to it. Like, it's just kind of this, you know, uh, mm. you know, like a little slappy kind of campfire strum along kind of thing. And then it just turn, it takes a turn and just like, oh, that, uh, oh, oh. And some other fun instruments in there, like a mm-hmm. lot of added on things. Just to, it changes the essence, like the ambiance of the song. I think mm-hmm. that's the other thing that as we get into these kind of top few albums they do they play with sounds again not just music and sounds out the mouth holes but like there's some fun like campfire song like, yeah like dog pain sounds mm-hmm. and shit like that it's yeah. just great totally i definitely this this to me is like the epitome of a night album mm. oh, this, yes. is, this is absolutely oh. like you, you start this album at midnight you know yes um, oh. Like touching myself. I'm so right. It's so right. Um, and I, this is another one where like, oh man, this just, every time you listen to it, there's new, in, like nuances, little nuances to find and little, the little and layers. The and devil cosplay of alone down there. And honestly, at eight minutes long, the Starship Projectors is pretty basic lyrically, but the groove that they grow and expand into is just... I Stunning. also will say this is this is the album where when I talk about their strength in track sequencing, mm-hmm. the, this album flows so perfectly, and it even has a couple songs that come after each other that are like same chord structure, same key, that feel like they move to a completely different place in a way that was bothering me on Good News that doesn't bother me on Moon and Antarctica when they sort of like gravity have... in the dark center of the universe. Yeah. Because those are, like, relatively, like, kind of, like, mid-tempo strummy kind of things that kind of, like, move. I think, I think their, their vibes are so different, though, mm-hmm. that that's, that's not necessarily what I'm referring to. Although those are, like, two of my favorite songs on here. Yes. They're both absolutely incredible. Gravity Rides Everything might be my favorite Modest Mouse song. Damn. And I didn't wow. know it before this week. How that's crazy! It? I, I just, I, like, I... Just that backwards forward drum sounds, sounds coming so in. so good! Uh, like, that's that's another one where, like, oh, this is what indie rock sounds like. To me. Well, and also because the production is just, it takes everything that was great about them and streamlines it, and again, without sacrificing who they are as a band. Mm-hmm. It is still fucking weird and dark and strange, and yet it is so much more digestible in a way that Lonesome Crowded West was not. Yeah. You I know? always feel like um, Isaac Brock has this, like, uh, Uncle Bo version, and I'm not going to try to unpack who Uncle Bo is. Here, but it's sort of like a, or like a Pippin, right? And this is not helping anybody listen. (laughs) But like, Tiny Cities Made of Ashes has this, I can only like describe it in that like I'm 
hunched over and I'm like sort of like a moving your shoulders hanging like out by a dumpster like kind of growling at oh, you oh totally totally right? totally like yeah. a like a Tom right like a Tom Waits time Tom Watts <laughs> situation like kind of like a like a like a creeper, but like not like a bad evil creeper, just kind of like a, a fun creeper. You know? Tiny cities made of ashes is speaking of Jeremiah liking to play dance for you. Yes, oh. yes. Yeah. It's also just it's so sinister. Oh, completely. And that and it, in such an incredible way. And I feel like I feel like they were trying to recreate tiny cities with pistol and just failed completely. Oh my god. Yeah, I could just, I see because, what you mean. I see what you mean. Tiny cities made of ashes is like maybe the most electronic that they get. Oh, I love it so much. Even though it's 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 still mostly just guitars, but it it feels like it's mm-hmm. it's so processed and and I in in the perfect so, way. Yeah. And I also I really like how it flows into a different city. Mm-hmm. And then I really enjoy how the cold part flows into alone oh down there. Can we talk about part a cold part? Takes me out. Takes me out. Like I just there's like what ten lyrics to that. But mm-hmm. honestly, I mean, it's just so understated though, because when that little like violin comes in, mm-hmm. it just guts you. Yeah, it's just so really it's pretty. so well done because also it shows them doing minimalism in a way that I don't think they necessarily had in the same vein. Well, it's actually really funny that you you mention the minimalism on yeah. the cold part because then I feel like they start on the stars are projectors. They start with the minimalism and then by the end it's full galaxy expansive. Gal- yeah. Yes. It's, it's everywhere. It's, it's a wormhole. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's nine minutes long and it absolutely earns that runtime. Mm-hmm. It's just so expansive and lovely. And then, on the flip side, do you have paper thin walls? Which almost upbeat. Maybe yeah. my favorite lyric. Which is Everyone's a fire as they're watching me, watch them watch me right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. There are a lot of I, I think I may have said it a hundred times this week. Oh, that must be my favorite lyric. Oh, that must be my favorite oh, lyric. Totally, oh, totally, totally, totally. That must be my oh, favorite yeah. lyric. I like, I, even like on Space Travel is boring off of this long drive. It's just like they gave her a mirror so she has a face to speak to. I'm like, oh, that's grim. Uh, you know, like... And well, was... and, and even like the really, really basic lyrics of I came as a rat are just oh, so God. much fun. The Like the syncopation of how they're said and just... the And then that that is another song that appears a couple times because they do like playing it live and it's really just a little different every time. Yeah. But it, it has that same kind of sinister under, undertone. And, yeah. and for me, again, I come back to the question of what is this album about? And for me, this is not necessarily about death so much as it's about uh, mortality in a universal sense. It's one of the things where there is a lot of, like, everything from the seedy things you do in hotels to the dark center of our universes and everything else like that. It, like, it's one of those things. It is obsessed with morbidness. Even Wild Packs of Family Dogs fits this brief very well, but in a way that is approachable, in a way that is so striking to me as well. But And that's one of the reasons where I, I, I knew a few songs off it, but I didn't really dive into it fully until this week, and I'm, I really saved, saved myself for this, and I'm very happy. So, Moon in Antarctica apparently is like a playoff, like a, a Blade Runner thing. A line, yeah. And so when I found that out, I was like, oh my god, oh my god. Oh my god, because it is. It's such a big conceptual kind of life, death. Like, here's there's a whole spirituality arc. There's mm-hmm. a whole... Like, it's just a lovely piece. It's It certainly deserves to be this high up. Yeah. Now, the question, of course, then remains, is our number one going to be this, or is it going to be, we were dead before the ship even sank? 
Have we finished talking about We Were Dead before the ship even sank, too? I don't know if we I have. Th- I think I think I have. Okay. I think. I, I mean, I, I there are certainly tracks I love that I haven't... The groovy bass line of Fire It Up? I, I dig it. Yeah. I dig it. I, and I'm not even mad at the, um, the like, trap hi-hats. <laughs> um, and, like, I love... Uh, Florida definitely grew on me. It wasn't my favorite at first. And Spitting Venom, we haven't even talked about Spitting Venom. Yeah. I mean, talk about an odyssey. Yeah, no, there's, I, this is one of my, I, this is a hard decision. It really, really is. Because Parting of the Sensory really carries that album so far. Every, like, there's just so much. Um, I and it really like, strong. And the the sweetness of Little Motel, Evan, like you said, like, it's just so. Sad sweetness. And then I get, yep, the, I get a little more of that kind of sinister spitting venom. Even Steven Genius is like, there's like, again, that funky beats and sounds and like, it almost sounds like some steampunk quackily ploop is coming towards you. Like, there's, there's sound, like, there's sounds in it. There's isn't, it. isn't that going to be on the no new way. album? The song stream to steampunk quackily goop? I think, I think it is. I think she said quackily goop. It's, okay. it's hard to, yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot to say. I will say that as someone who nominated it several slots ago, I, it's pretty clear that I'm going to have The Moon in Antarctica as my number one pick, but that's just me. I think, I think... Is that true, that. though? Is that just genuinely and purely your first... Your, your pick for number one? I mean, my pick for number one, per, I was actually torn between Moon Antarctica and Good News, mm-hmm. uh, back and forth a lot, really. I think at the end of the day, it's probably going to go to the moon, uh, though, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm satisfied, honestly, in either direction. I think, I think personally, I would put We Were Dead as my number one, yeah. but I think group consensus would be the other way. Well, and it's hard, because as, as stated, going into the week, I these two were at the top, and I would have said Moon and Antarctica, because I'm a little bit older than Taryn you know this came a little bit earlier this is when I was you know mm-hmm. but there's just something so beautiful about we were dead that is just breathtaking though I do weep for you that good news is so low because I mean Taryn knows this feeling a lot so it's it's, it's happened like, yeah yes it happened on our Metallica episode even so yeah it's, it's uh, <laughs> it's okay don't worry I mean again that's part of the game we understand sometimes sometimes it happens but that's just me. So are we okay with Moon at number one then? or Yeah, I think that's... Okay. In that case, let's go ahead in our Lock It In segment brought to you by Orange Julius. Because I think other true, like, genuine lovers of Modest Mouse would not be terribly upset with this order. Here. We Were Dead gets a, a lot of shit. Yeah. A shit that I don't think it deserves. But I, I think just because it's so different from the early era, a lot of people are like, what the fuck is this? But that's, they just don't, I guess they don't like the Smiths. <laughs> and really, that's on them for being musically illiterate. Let's be real. <laughs> well, in that case, guys, let's go ahead and let's log into number eight, Sad Sappy Sucker. Number seven, Strangers to Ourselves. Number six, Building Something. Nothing out of something, goddammit. Number five, <laughs> This is a Long Time for Something with Nothing to Think About. Number four, Good News for People Who Love Bad News. Number three, The Lonesome Crowd of West. Number two, We Were Dead Before the Ship Even Sing. And number one, Ice Cream Party. Streaming now. It's the oh, new single. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Ice Cream Party in that house. <laughs> number one is The Moon in Antarctica. But y'all, we've had a hell of a contentious and lovely discussion and quite frankly we're going to have a lot more to talk about in the Happy Hour Minisode right after this. So uh, the thing is please leave your comments below. Send us an email to thechartoffers at gmail.com or say what you really feel in a review to us. We'll only read the five star ones. Uh, And please let us know. But in the meantime Nico, 
Thank you so much for being oh, here. Oh, no, I was so excited for this one. This is this is the one. This is the band that really just reminds me over and over and over again why I love music, love music and why I seek out fun, sweet little things, because this is a, a whole lot of sweet, fun, sinister, Wait, fun, sinister little things. You're a fun, sweet little, sinister little thing. Mm, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Taryn, thank you as always. You can't do it without me, bitch. <laughs> It would be so I weird. It. I love it. I mean... The episodes where there's only one of us looking back, I'm like, no. What happened We there? needed to try it out to we see how it was. Yeah, yeah, and now we know that it's the unspeakable duo that fights and loves. Uh, that makes us fun. <laughs> and they never, they never reconnected. After they separated earlier with that big decision, they never reconnected for the record. Why would we? Uh, but most importantly, <laughs> thank you all for listening. Please keep on listening because you know that we'll be seeing the Happy Hour Mini stuff. Goodbye! <laughs> Deep and I love theater so much that we can't stop talking about it, even during a pandemic. We don't believe theater is sleeping or paused. In fact, it's more woke than ever. The plays just keep coming. As you're talking theater friends, we're filled with joy to bring you a web series and podcast with the artists you love every week. But to talking theater friends aren't enough, we want you to join our community, which is why we've set up a special friend zone in our Patreon. Join us by making a contribution starting at $1.00. We promise you more bonuses, goodies, exclusive interviews, and much more. Come join us, friends.